Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. I'm your host, Steve, joined as always by my developer co-host, Blue. How you doing, Blue? We're almost at the end of a very long month, it feels like. It feels like we got to April so quickly, and then April has just been here for an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit like that. Yeah, but um, there's news happening. There's always news happening, and it feels like... Um, and hopefully we're back for two weeks in a row, because we were away for a while. Yeah. And then almost weren't here last week because of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had technical issues. And for anyone who's potentially listening to this from Impulse Gamer, welcome to the show. We run a little website uh, that focuses on indie games called Pixels for Breakfast, and I do a bunch of articles for Impulse Gamer on the site as well. And Andrew over at Impulse Gamer is like, hey, you should put the podcast here. So that is the case. Welcome, and hopefully you enjoy the show. Are there, um, is there like a cute name for Impulse Gamer, like fans, like Impulsers? Um, uh, impulses. Yeah. I don't know. Impulsers, I don't know. Maybe one of them can no. let us know in the comments because, yeah, I don't uh, know. Yeah. Um, that's actually an interesting <laughs> question. Uh, anyway, let's jump straight into the news. We're going to kick things off with more happening with The Sinking City. This is a story that we've been covering, you know, with every major update over the past, it feels like six months, but I'm sure it's been longer than that. Uh, basically, for those who- I'm sure the team feels like it's been longer Oh, yeah. That. So basically, the, the long and short of it is Frogwares, the developer of The Sinking City, which is a Lovecraftian detective game that did pretty well. It was apparently highly regarded. Uh, their publisher, Nakon, were in cahoots. They were having like a big argument about who actually had the rights to publish it on new platforms. And then apparently Nakon took the source code that they had and had another developer rip things out, change things, and then re-release the game on Steam because it was an Epic Store exclusive. Allegedly, yes, that has not been proven. Frogwares claim that they haven't been paid their royalties and that they actually own the game. They then released their version of the game on the Nintendo Switch, which was then pulled down. And there's just been this ongoing court battle around this thing. Anyway, uh, it just so happens now that Frogwares has released an enhanced Xbox X and S series version of the Lovecraftian detective adventure. And unfortunately, there will be no free upgrade for people who already own the game on the Xbox One. Uh, And they've said that this is due to the ongoing uh, fight with the former publisher. The updated version does have 4K 60 and, you know, better loading times because of the SSD, increased graphical fidelity, and additional uh, quests are included uh, with the Merciful Madness DLC, which is part of this deluxe edition, but you can buy the standalone, just default edition without the extra content for uh, a little bit less. Uh, Apparently, they released this on PS5 a little while ago. I didn't catch that news, actually. Um, but yeah, if you want to go support the developers who are apparently having a really rough time legally with their former publisher, uh, and you've been curious about this game now could be a good time to jump in. This feels like a cursed game at this point. I'm glad they're moving forward and like actually putting out new versions of it, which means like, to me, that means that they're trying to put this behind them. They're trying to move forward with it. It still has revenue to make. It still has platforms that it makes sense to put it on. So they're doing that, but like, it feels like the developers moving forward, which is really good. Yeah, it's kind of like we we sort of posited um, while it's allegedly they don't really have anything to gain for these claims against their former publisher, really. Um, and the mm. sad thing is, by all accounts, this is actually one of the better Lovecraft games. It's very easy for yeah. developers to just, you know, shit out a Lovecraft game these days. Um, 
Thankfully, a lot of them are good, but there are a lot of bad ones. But apparently this one is like top tier. Uh, and a lot of people just didn't get a chance to play it because of these ongoing battles. So I might even jump in on this one eventually. That'd be kind of nice. But speaking of Microsoft, considering that's coming out to the Xbox, uh, during an earnings call, it was revealed that Microsoft gaming revenue is up by 50% year on year. Uh, So this is just a, you know, a regular earnings call uh, for quarter two, I think. I don't know how the, what the US um, revenue system is, but, Third quarter of its 2021 financial year. Thank you. So Microsoft has reported that a gaming revenue of $3.53 billion for this quarter, which is up 50% year on year. Xbox content and services revenue is up 34%. And this is driven by strong software sales plus Game Pass growth, which of course we just had all those tasty Bethesda games get rolled up into Game Pass in the recent acquisition. So I'm sure that accounts for quite a huge amount of that. And then Xbox hardware was up 232% year on year due to the Xbox Series X and S demand. Uh, that is a little bit misleading because this time yeah. last year... These numbers are all... Yeah. These numbers are all very, very um, wobbly. Yeah, basically. basically, like, particularly the hardware one, though, because this time last year, people were... Most people in the know were holding off on buying a new console because the new ones are just around the corner. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense that there was yep. a huge jump. But still, it's good to hear some good news come out of Microsoft. It does feel like outside of this news that game pass is really starting to pay dividends for them. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you know, they've got Mo Yang, they've got um, double finer about to release some new games. And of course they just got Bethesda um, Ninja theories working on another uh, sets in a sacrifice sequel. I can't remember the name of the new one. So, you know, they've got stuff in the pipeline. So it just feels like they're setting a strong foundation for themselves. Also, financial years play very weirdly with financial quarters. Sorry, play very weirdly with um, game dev cycles. They're they're just so incompatible as concepts. Yeah, which is why we have a lot of games rushed to market that aren't potentially ready. Yeah, <laughs> because game dev cycles take years and years and years, and every financial quarter you just see you just keep seeing dips and dips and dips until it's just this gigantic like multi hundred percent jump, and it's just really bad for perception on all fronts. Yeah. So yeah. It's it's just kind of interesting, I guess, because Microsoft is primarily a software and hardware company, right? They're not gaming yeah. is a small division for them, so um, their gaming division is still like peanuts compared to OS. Yeah, and like I imagine the Office suite is just oh monstrous. Not to mention Azure and all their server hosting and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, but good to know that the um, division is healthy yeah absolutely it's um as i said i think it's a good foundation for them moving forward with these new consoles uh we're gonna skip across to some capcom news right now first off monster hunter rise has its first big update just launched yesterday i believe um uh yesterday from recording so a, a few days ago for you when this comes out yes absolutely uh so the new update includes a bunch of new beasts um and and uh, higher rank quests and uh, cosmetics and and upgrades there and some cosmetic DLC items that are purchasable. But the big thing that people are unhappy about here is that they've locked away the uh, character editing behind a paid DLC item. Uh, yeah. So apparently, um, yeah. right now you can edit your character's appearance for free. Uh, well, for free. before the update, yeah. I should say, probably can't right now. 
but now you need to use a paid for item. Capcom gives you one of those for free with a new update, but then you got to pay for it. I don't know. I guess that kind of sucks. Like, uh, uh, eh. I was surprised it was a free feature because I only played from world and base world didn't even have it to begin with. And then we were get when they added the feature, they gave us one free ticket. Uh, and on Iceborne, they gave us another free ticket if you bought Iceborne. Um, do you ever change the way your hunter looks? And we're not talking about, like, you know, what armor you're wearing. We're talking about, like, what hairstyle and stuff like that. Do you ever do I that? I mean, I personally don't because I don't care. But there are a lot of people out there who do care. And from locking them away from expressing their identity, that's a bad thing, I think, personally. Uh, I think the reason it's being perceived as bad is because it was free. And then now it's being put behind a wall. If this was behind a wall to begin with, people would just be like, oh, yeah, that's common practice. Because how many games can you... Like, it's becoming more common now, but, you know, how many MMOs or even just long single-player story RPGs do you play where you didn't have an option to change the way your character looks past character creation? That's why people spent so many hours on that. While I agree with you in in principle on that, what what I think you're right in saying that it was free, so that feels bad. Yeah. But... Do I agree that you shouldn't be able to change your character? Like, no. Like, I do think that that is locking someone away from... Like, if you get halfway through a Mass Effect and you're like, oh, this is the type of Shepard I want and I want to change the look to match my personality and what I'm trying to go for and you can't do that, that sucks just as much. I think (laughs) that if they were going to go this route, if this was planned from the beginning, they should have communicated it to the player base. Yeah, exactly. You know, say that... Say one of two things, right? Say that... Yeah, uh, up until the first patch, you can change your character whenever you want. And then after that, just be warned, we are going to put it in. So if you want to like get in some last-minute changes, there's a deadline for you to hit. Or for every new account, for every new character, you can change the look of your character for the first 10 hours. And then by that point, you should be locked in and solidified in a character you like. Because I, I'm a firm believer of you play a, a character. You, it's not this sim for you to dress up all the time. Go play the sims if you want to do that to me yeah yeah i don't know i feel like anyone should just express themselves the way that they want like we're just not going to agree on this term but i think the the root of the problem Uh, is that they hmm. took something away and have and it's an artificial way to earn money right like because and perception i personally don't care but i can see the argument to be made for why people do but i feel like the, you want to talk about like customization mm-hmm. and like expressing yourself the bigger part for that is part of that one of the things included in this update is layered armor which is uh if you're more familiar with what it's called in mmos it would be glamour uh basically you can make armor look like other pieces of armor while still retaining its like inherent qualities so that you can fashion up while still using the best stuff i think that's much more important for player expression because that takes up a larger part of your player character. Well, yeah, that's also the thing. And that's something I'm super excited that's about. That's also something about Monster Hunter, like particularly for this one, why I wouldn't care. Um, not that I really care yeah. in general with games personally. Like you barely you see, see the, the face. Yeah, exactly. Because like, you're always wearing yeah. dope helmets, right? Um, yeah. like, And that's a really big reason why I was like, yeah, cool. Lock it. <laughs> it's fine. Especially since you give us one chance to change our minds. Yeah. Right. But the other thing that is yeah. the other thing that people aren't happy about here is apparently like I haven't gotten that far in the game, but Monster Hunter Rise doesn't really have an ending and it's just kind of like that ending's coming and then yep. this did not really bring that with it. Um Yeah. Um and it's weird and it's hard to compare 
But, you know, in, in World, in Monster Hunter World, which is, again, my only real comparison point, it felt like you were doing low rank. Well, you were doing low rank for, like, tens of hours. I think I got out of low rank at, like, 25 hours. And I know some people got out of low rank at, like, 50 hours. Yeah. And and then you get into high rank, and then it feels like, oh, wow, that tutorial, that was a tutorial. Mm-hmm. Because low rank is nothing. Yeah, low yeah, rank yeah. doesn't, it really isn't. And, uh, you know, so people look at that playtime difference, but the reality of it is that they just streamlined it. Monster Hunter World was really bad with how they forced you into a lot of fights. They forced you to go on, like, weird expeditions where you had to track monsters. I love that from World, by the way. Like, that's such a core aspect of World because they want to, like, make the environment stand out and give character to them. So it makes sense. But Rise is much quicker. Rise is all about just... um mobility and movement and getting you to the content that you want to do so although like it takes a lot less time to get to high rank it's still and i I still got to high rank in i don't know 10 15 hours because i took my time and then i've just been there and i've i think i've hit close to 100 hours now Mm -hmm. all just like grinding so in terms of the time output and commitment if you're into monster hunter it's not the story normally that will get you through Ah, oh, yeah, for you're sure. looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, right? But yeah, if if you're telling me that it's, it's gonna be here, it's not here yet. That's fine. Uh, being a bit upset that they didn't have as wide of a variety as mon- of monsters as you would hope. Uh, yeah, that's fair, and that's the thing that will come with time. It's hard to deny that this probably came out before it was really ready to come out. Yeah, I don't think any game developed in the past year can say that everything was on track. There were no problems, right? Yeah, I definitely feel like this is a bit of that COVID hangover, essentially, yeah. right? Um, yeah, yeah. They were definitely a good way into development before COVID struck because, like, the game had been announced and was, like, we had dates yeah. and everything. But, yeah, it felt like, oh, we weren't ready to get that last bit in there. Um, but the game is still playable and good enough and we've got hours and hours of content, so let's drop it and release these updates. And, I mean, this yeah. update came... Has it even been a month since launch? It's about a month, right? Uh, over, over. I think it launched. Um, it launched last week, of end m- of March, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah, just over a month. Yeah, then. and yeah. so they're saying that the next update is coming at the end of May. That's going to add the all May. new ending plus yeah. the monsters. So you know, it feels yeah, like it, it was close, but just not quite re- there yet. You know, and, and instead of rushing it out, they just said we'll put it out on an update. Yeah. Because it's a service game now. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of things are service games now. And I'm all for that. Truth be told, I got to the end of the content that is here. And I felt very strongly, that's a really strong showing. I really dig that. This fight is really exemplifying what I was learning about movement in this game. Cool. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. So I'm so looking forward to the proper ending. But it's not like this game doesn't have an ending right now. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It's not full closure yet, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, that update is out now. It's free. It sounds like the next update is also going to be free. There are no... We haven't heard any plans about bigger expansions down the pipeline, but this game has sold gangbusters, so I wouldn't be surprised if they keep supporting it for quite some time. From what I understand of the way Monster Hunter works is they don't do DLC packs, they do expansions. Yeah. Proper expansions. So... It'll be interesting Hopefully to see. We'll get to the end. Of- it'll be interesting to see if they could sort of keep it slow until that PC version comes out, and then they're potentially in sync. That would be great. I'm sure they won't because they're Capcom, but it would be great. <laughs> it, 
it took uh it took like two years for monster hunter world to reach parody yeah and it was past iceborne where it reached parody yeah, yeah, yeah. with console so i wouldn't hold my breath yeah, for that absolutely but we're going to stay with Capcom and move on to our next story here, which is that Street Fighter figurehead Yoshinori Ono has left Capcom after nearly 30 years. It was announced mm-hmm. uh, that he will be leaving at the end of April. He's been working there since 1998 and is credited with spearheading yep. Street Fighter's revival with the launch of Street Fighter 4. And from May 1st, yep. he will be joining Delight Works who is the developer of Fate Grand Order on mobile and will be publishing Melty Blood type Lumina, which is a fighting game that a lot of people are excited for. Which I brought up, like, maybe in the episode that was lost. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 it, it, it did come out. It did come oh, out. Oh, no, because it has the photo, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, you Blue, like, you're, you're the, the fighting game expert, so if you want to talk a bit more about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ono will be missed. Don't get me wrong. Ono is a beloved... Um, figurehead for the fgc um every time he went he, he was personally there for a lot of evos and one of the things he always did as he came up because um you know like for fighting games yeah announcing them on stages like e3 happens but we learned very quickly that no most of the public don't care about fighting games you want to announce the fighting games in a, to an audience that cares you go to the events the tournaments right so a lot of Capcom announcements for Street Fighter for all their various fighting games happened at um, Evo. A, a lot of other announcements happened at Evo. And every time Ono was there and he was on stage, you could tell he loves the community. He loves being there. Um, you know, he's known to have uh, Blanca as one of his favorite characters, Blanca from Street Fighter. And he has this tiny Blanca-like figure that he carries all over the place with him it's always there with him on stage he's holding it in his hands and stuff he always goes up on stage uh when he goes up on stage he always um asks to get a crowd photo of everyone like putting their fists up in a shoryuken and basically saying counting down three two one and doing shoryuken um so he's one of the figureheads and he'll be definitely be missed from capcom but i think it's really good as well that he's leaving because the team behind street fighter 5 currently has done amazing work street fighter 5 did not launch well and it's been the team tirelessly working behind the scenes believing in the vision that the game could be to turn it around this article mentioned something like yeah street fighter 5 is in its uh fifth season right now you don't know the crazy thing about that it wasn't meant to have this season oh really the previous season was supposed to be the final one but it sold so well and people's reception to it was so good that they decided yeah we'll do one victory lap Everyone in the industry, in the community, believes that Street Fighter VI is in development at the moment and that a lot of focus is into that. But Street Fighter V's um, last season did so well that they decided to come back and give us even more. And the, the characters this season are amazing and insane as well. It's so, it's so, so cool. They added some new mechanics, which they didn't need to. So it's in, like, the best place it's ever been. Uh, and it's genuinely because of the team. And Ono hasn't been uh, the face for Street Fighter V um, this recent bit of development. We've actually seen the current um, game director and uh, someone from the publisher, I think, something like that. I don't remember their specific titles. And they've been killing it in their like developer update style videos, which has been amazing. So, I mean, I'm really glad that... Uh, I was going to say there, there does come a point, right, where a, a team yeah. has that success and that foundation and mm. it can be a good opportunity for you know we've seen this at nintendo with like the splatoon team right where the old yeah. guard has helped raise up the new blood and they've come up with an yep. interesting new idea and maybe that's where street fighter's yep. heading right 
Yeah. So like all credit to Ono that, yeah, maybe some of this was that, um, you know, th- there's some talk about some health problems that he might have been having. Maybe some of it was that. But all credit to him. Um, whatever else it happened, um, he passed. He's leaving Street Fighter in the hands of an extremely capable team. Yeah. And um, like great work. I will. <laughs> like he's leaving a company. And I, I want to also say this. Um, it's possible that Ono was responsible for uh, the fighting game drought to begin with. There is this like dark age where the only thing happening in fighting games that was like really worth mentioning was the um, a lot more niche King of Fighters and Tekken scenes and the really like out front and center um, Street Fighters didn't happen for like six years. There wasn't any. And that's why Street Fighter 4 was a revival. Um, Mortal Kombat was in dire straits at this point. They were experimenting with 3D. Didn't work for them. Um but one of the reasons that Dry Spell happened was uh, a game that Ono was the head director of. <laughs> like, yeah, right. He's learned since then. But, you know, when he's he's often credited as, like, working on Street Fighter since 1998, he was an art guy. Mm. He's not a game designer. Right, right, gotcha. So he has some bad habits when it comes to video game design. I am willing to say without any proof that he's probably one of the reasons Street Fighter 5's design was bad at launch. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so do not discredit this man for the amount of work that he put in behind the scenes as a director to lift the team up to where it is. But I, the community has been very happy when it so far has felt like I don't think he's been doing as much for the um, in direct input on the design of Street Fighter 5. And it's been in a really, really healthy spot. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this kind of like makes sense to me based on what I understand. And I'm really glad that he's moving on to something else and take his, he's learned so much. There's also this thing, right, in Japanese business where uh, the person who's been there the longest gets the job, gets the promotion. Yeah. And maybe that Precisely. is one of these situations, right? Um, yeah. I, you know, maybe he just wasn't qualified. But they were like, yeah, you worked on Street Fighter 2. Why don't you run this new game? And he did. And he became the face of Street Fighter for a while. And design aside, he pushed for Street Fighter 4. Like, Street Fighter 4 was a game that needed champions. Um, Yoshinori Ono, Seth Killian, uh, quite a few members of, you know, the community were vocal. And that's why Capcom brought it back and went into the 2.5D style. I'm not going to say... Two and a half D would, wouldn't happen with, without Street Fighter Four, but it would have taken another few years at least. Street Fighter Four at the time, in two thousand eight, seven, eight, it looked amazing, mm. right? There's a term in fighting games for um, a a um, a generation of the community members who started from the Street Fighter Four era. They're called O Niners. <laughs> like they're called O Niners because in two thousand nine was when Super Edition came out, and that's when that's when the FGC started really growing again. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that's all credit to Street Fighter 4, right? So, yeah, super cool. Wish him the best. But let's look back and be realistic about some of his uh, contributions to Street Fighter. Street Fighter is in very, very capable hands. I'm super excited for um, the potential 6, even the end of updates from Street Fighter 5. A character from rival schools is being added to Street Fighter 5, which is insane. That's, that's words that I don't understand that I'll just say, yes, that's insane. <laughs> Rival Schools is uh, like this super niche um, Capcom uh-huh. game, fighting game from the like 90s. 
and it has amazing character designs, but it's so old and like, why would anyone ha- ever add a character from there? But yeah. hey, the fans wanted it, so they're they're doing That's it. That's pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's sick. It's very very sick. So yeah. Um, this next uh, new story. Good luck, oh no. This next new story is very short because there's not much to it. Um, but Super Mario Party is getting a free update. Uh, that is going to add full online play. So before this update, which has rolled out, Super Mario Party had an online component that only let you play 10 mini games out of the 80 available in the game. And those 10 were not any of the board games. They were just like the, I, I've forgotten what it was, but there's a separate like party play these mini game yeah. mode. Um, Effectively mini game picker. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this new update makes 70 out of the 80 totally fully playable uh, across two switches online. And by the looks of this, the wording's a little bit weird. Um, There is, you don't, so both people can own the game and it will work, but also one can just offer up a lobby code and they can connect and play without owning the game is what it sounds like Mm -hmm. here. Um, I basically just wanted to bring this up because Nintendo doesn't do this stuff. <laughs> like, partic- they don't typically do a lot of updates to their games, um, particularly something like a Mario Party. Um, like, you know, Animal Crossing. Especially not such a feature-heavy update. Yeah, and that's what I was about to say, to add full online play, especially now when mm. people really crave some of that. Um, like, I yep. said in our Discord today, like, this makes this game 100% more viable because I bought it day one and I've played it three times, which was the amount of mm. times I had people over at my house and now the pandemic is just out of control here in Japan. I'm not likely to have anyone over again. Uh, so it's like, ah, oh, maybe I could play yeah. this like another three times. So I feel like I got my money's worth. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, uh, temp- yeah. In- temp- sorry, go ahead. Temper some of your expectations uh, for you and the people listening. I've heard some rough um, goes at how this currently plays out. Uh, one like super preliminary look at it said that in order to connect, the game has to like shut down. And then reboot itself to be able to connect. Oh, great. <laughs> so super, super interesting how things have happened. And I suspect that's to do with the, um, so that you can just boot up from a lobby thing. Yeah, yeah. More, more than likely. More than likely, right? Um, I think it's very, very good that this has happened and it'll, it'll probably have some teething issues. But um, don't get frustrated. Yep, it's a free uh, update that wasn't meant to be there. And I know that sounds yeah. kind of rich when we're talking about Nintendo, but also like like you just said in that last story, let's be realistic. Nintendo doesn't do this stuff and they never do it well. Yeah. Um, so it's surprising to see them start to try and do that. Yeah, so very cool. Speaking of... Sup- we should play something sometime. Yeah, absolutely. But speaking of surprising, Medal of Honor mm. for the Oculus headsets won an Academy Award. Which I thought that segue was going to be speaking of surprising the Oscars happened. Well, yeah, that, I mean, who cares? But, um, it's interesting that, uh, so Medal of Honor, uh, above and beyond was the name of the game that came out. It was an Oculus and steam VR title that came out in December last year, developed by Respawn, who of course make Apex Legends and Titanfall. And it was trashed. Apparently it was not very good. I was pretty Mm. excited for it because you know medal of honor is a series from years and years ago in my early really, days of gaming yeah um but also i really just love respawn like i, I love respawn and what they do yep. um and then i heard it was pretty trash and i watched some videos it's like yeah that does not look fun and it was expensive so i'm like yeah i've played half-life alex so this will be terrible in comparison 
The one thing that came out around that, though, is it had a series of documentaries and artifacts from the World War, uh, specifically World War II, this one covers, um, that, you know, Medal of Honor have always had some form of that in their games. That's kind of what set them apart. Um, yep. And they had, like, a series of documentaries attached to this, which were in VR, obviously, and quite immersive and apparently very, very good. But I was like, I'm still not going to pay 80 bucks to watch those. Um Maybe I should have because one of them titled Colette, it's a 25 minute documentary within the game uh, that tells the story of Colette Marin Catherine, a French resistance fighter in World War II, and it tracks her return to Germany, including the prison camp where her brother Jean-Pierre died. And uh, basically it won an Academy Award and it is the first uh, video game product ever to win an Academy Award, which is interesting because now we have Respawn who I think are one of the more exciting developers out there on their level, yeah. winning an Academy Award funded by Facebook because they own Oculus, right? Um, yep. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say. Um, you can just watch the documentary now. The The Guardian has released it for free on their YouTube. Uh, so if you are interested in watching just this portion of it uh, without buying the game, it is available to watch over there. Hmm. But just kind of cool to see Respawn. Like, I think Respawn are a very interesting, thoughtful studio. Uh, and I, Definitely. I think Star Wars, uh, what was that? Star Wars, whatever the tagline is. Um, Jedi, not Jedi Outcast, that's a classic old one. Anyway, that Star Wars game that they released, I think um, really proved that, hey, we can do stuff that aren't first-person shooters and do it competently. Mm. And, like, that game was way better than it deserved to be. Um, so like, I'm always just very excited to see what they're doing. So it's great to see them get some recognition, uh, for all the cool stuff that they do. Control is theirs, right? No, Control is Remedy, the other greatest video game studio. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they both start with RE as well. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. help. And the RE engine stands for Reach for the Moon. Oh, ah. Nick, we just talk about that for a minute. Blew my mind. <laughs> I think we already did, but yeah. Yeah, uh, we didn't I think this. we already did, but what the hell, yeah, right? We didn't do this on the podcast, I don't think. <laughs> oh, did we not? I don't think okay. so. If well, we did, I yeah. apologize. So, uh, yeah. Blue, was it you who told me or was it Rowan? I don't, no, it was yeah, Rowan. So, Rowan, Rowan, who hosts another podcast that Blue is on, that's on the Pixels for Breakfast Network, yeah. uh, Platforms and Pitfalls, Yeah, was like, hey, did you know that the RE engine doesn't stand for Resident Evil engine? And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Of course like, it stands for. Yeah. It looks like a zombie hand. Of course it's... No, it's a hand reaching for the moon. Yeah. It's... What the hell? <laughs> Reach for the moon is the name of the engine. What? That has to be backwards. That has to be like, no, we want to use this engine for more than just Resident Evil. What's a good name for it, right? That It kind of looks like a hand reaching for the moon. Yeah. Right? That, that feels like that's what that is. That's, it has to be. I, I refuse to think it's anything but. <laughs> um, I, I still see a zombie Yeah, hand. me too. And yeah, so in case people don't realize, Monster Hunter Rise runs on the RE engine. It feels like everything is going to be running on the RE engine now. Yeah, it's a good uh, engine. That comes out of Capcom. Uh, it got there. It was bad for a while. Oh, yeah. As in, like, it's it's really powerful engine. It's always been really powerful. And the, the graphics you can get out of it is really, really amazing. Um, but it sits on Unreal. And even then, um, or or I don't know if it sits on Unreal, but, like, they use what they learned from Unreal. And um, they learned some, like, bad asset loading. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to begin with, it was really crunchy on your memory. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. there now. Anyway. good. Anyway, that's that's an aside. It is there now. Um, this is also just Very a quick so. one. Um, people can fly. 
who you may know as the developers behind Outriders, which just came out, and Outriders. Bulletstorm was their first big claim to fame. They also worked on Gears of mm. War Judgment. Uh, they just acquired a new studio. Uh, so they acquired Phosphor Games, who are based in Chicago, and have renamed them as Chicago. People Can Fly Chicago. And the the reason I'm bringing this up is it's apparently People Can Fly 7th Studio, which I had no idea that they were this big. So People Can Fly is a Polish-based developer. Uh, they have two studios in Poland, uh, one in New York, one in Newcastle, one in Montreal, and now Chicago. And now one in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's just nuts. Um, apparently, so the, the quote here from the CEO, Justin Cochran, uh, a new chapter opens for our team. We are very excited to be joining People Can Fly to open a brand new AAA studio, People Can Fly Chicago. A goal is to strengthen People Can Fly's presence in the US and help build People Can Fly as a global brand. Uh, so apparently they're working on two other AAA projects alongside supporting Outriders. Um, and mm. one of them is a recently announced original action adventure title for two, Take-Two Interactive. But it doesn't say what name that game is. Um, but yeah, I just yeah, we basically just bringing this up because I had no idea that they were this big. And I'm trying to remember. I'm racking right, my yeah. brain. I want to say that Epic invested in them quite some time ago, which would make sense because they got pulled into the Gears of War franchise. But I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure. Um, but yeah, so there you go. People can fly. Expanding. Poland. What a what a like hub for development right now. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Like, I guess just that mm. era where video games were so, un, like, unaccessible for people of Poland mm. and then people, like, really breaking out. Like, the thing is, yeah. it makes sense that, you know, um, City Project Red have their, their hooks in on that RPG segment because yep. that's what was popular in Europe. It was RPGs and adventure games, right? Definitely. That style. Yeah, yeah the deliberate plotting style. Yeah. And while I really did um, not like Bulletstorm's thing of what it was doing in terms of humor and delivery, like the action-centric plays super well. combat was just yeah. amazing. It was just like such a breath of fresh air in that era of everything's brown and a cover shooter. Um which is pretty funny I that really, they went on yeah. to make Gears of War, which is brown and a cover shooter, and Outriders, which I is mean, less brown but a cover shooter. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bulletstorm got panned, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I, I have no idea what the multiplayer is like. I've heard only amazing things about it, um, but I super enjoyed my like single-player time with that game. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool. I see a lot of similarities between Poland now and Australia 10 years ago. Yeah, right, right. Well... Maybe Australia six years ago, because like people already know, you know, Australia isn't like burgeoning. Sorry, not not burgeoning Australia. Poland's past that point, but you know, it goes in circles and cycles, right? Australia is not the oh my god, a game came from their country anymore. Yeah, I mean, companies there are getting listed on the exchange now, which is nuts. Yeah, yeah, and and Poland stopped being that place like two years ago as well. Yeah, but it's definitely like I I like seeing that it's not just the same old places anymore yeah yeah this past decade has been very good for um geographical diversity even if australia is pretty damn white (laughs) when it comes to making absolutely and then you have places like holland right where just the amount of indie talent that's come out of there so they build their studios like they're they're not i'm sure there are double a and triple a studios there but there are just all these incubators Mm -hmm. that are just a collective of indie devs together and even that just creates new and exciting opportunities right 
Yeah. The the important thing is that these incubators and these indie teams are forming without um direct pressure from AAA. Yeah. Um which is good and bad. Like it's bad because there's a lot less job security when AAA isn't in your market to stabilize like salaries and stuff like that. But it's good because you don't get like intellectual pressure yeah. from like what you can and cannot do. Yeah, absolutely. So it's nice and creative. Yeah. I don't have a segue so cool. for this one. Also, oh, yep, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, minor side note. As someone who watches a lot of GDQ, um, PCF to me in my head, I always think um, Prevent Cancer Foundation. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> and so throughout this entire article, they, they kept saying PCF, and I'm, that's cognitive dissonance yeah. at best. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't have a segue for this one, but uh, Sega is counting down to a big announcement for Judgment, which is a spinoff of the Yakuza series. Uh it's just a new website with a countdown for May 7th. I'm assuming that's US May 7th. Uh, and apparently it is going uh, to have some big news around this franchise. Judgment recently just came out on PS5 and the Xbox Series X and S and Google Stadia. Um, so it's not the uh, it's not the whole like, hey, this is out on next-gen consoles. It's not that. So surely it has to be a sequel or an expansion, one would imagine. Oh, I, well, okay. So here's the thing. It's counting down to Judgment Day. So it's a crossover with the Terminator series. Oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what this could be? Also, this is Sega. And so the other side of this announcement ranges from, wow, that was such a waste of time to that's cool to oh my god that'll change everything and i have no idea where that'll land because this is sega okay so it could be like a spin-off judgment dancing game judgment dance all night yeah, right it, it like so easily could do that and people would mostly respond with oh cool <laughs> <laughs> you know like the other thing it, it or could be it, switch it could be coming to switch Maybe. Could be Switch. Doubt it. Um, could be a full-blown sequel. This didn't sell super well at onset, but it's... I think it's aged all right. I think that it was one of those um, things that it had the, like... Um, it had the foundation to create an interesting series there, but it just didn't hit it out of the mark. But I think... Uh, mm. I can never say the studio's name. Ryuga Gotoku, I think, has, like, a really mm. great track record of just doing games that do well and when they don't necessarily sell they still commit to them i mean look at the yakuza series right it didn't sell for years and years and years and years and now it's massive um and when i say didn't sell i'm talking like internationally right like it's always done well in japan and yeah you know the the international japanese community circuit right but um judgment had a lot of um international on its shoulders though because this was the first proper full game after the yakuza remaster yeah 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 stuff um maybe it's a crossover between judgment and um like a dragon yeah it could be could be i mean it wouldn't be hard to just slap these assets because that's essentially it's the same engine right so um and and like that that'd be such a big thing like that would range closer to the wow this is really cool because um it's about characters like these are character stories so that would be cool to see characters interact i'm very excited because i bought it for playstation 4 and then i had to sell my playstation 4 when i moved to japan so i haven't played it and uh i'm i mm. just yeah give me give me some judgment give me some good news so anyway may 7 we're gonna find out more about that schwarzenegger doing a guest spot you reckon maybe um 
So this is a bit of an interesting one. Chinese games are really kicking off, which is super exciting. Uh, just recently, I've seen a bunch of stories about Chinese RPGs and there's a uh, long running Chinese RPG series that apparently is very good. That's coming to console for the first time later this year. And I don't mm. remember the name of it, but I got a press release about it. And I was like, that's funny. Cause I'm seeing a lot of these stories. Anyway, uh, Naraka blade point uh, is a melee based fantasy battle royale uh 60 60 players uh it's basically Sekiro, but a battle royale so it has a grappling hook and you have swords and it does have some projectile mm. weapons but it's mostly based around uh you know melee sword to sword combat that sort of thing and it looks really really cool and apparently it had a beta over uh, the last couple of days and it managed to hit 120,000 concurrence on steam uh, beating out mm. Apex and 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 uh, Rust and Warframe and Valheim and all of that stuff. Um, and yeah, I'm- I love how Football Manager 2021 is in that list. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the Football Manager series. It's just consistently in the top plate of Steam. Yeah, it's wild. It's, it's wild. So weird. Um, uh, I want to clarify. So weird to us because we're not in that community. Yeah, absolutely. Like, all power to you if you're like in there yeah. because awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, so uh, the beta's already done. It's finished, um, which sucks because I just saw this. I'm like, oh man, this looks dope. Um, but yeah, so there's no release date. There's no, if it's free to play, I don't think. I would imagine it would be, but it might not be. Anyway, just thought I'd bring it up that this game out of China just came kind of mm-hmm. like Genshin Impact, right? Like swooped in and just took over. Um, so super cool. I think it has a really it's cool art style. And yeah, I'm definitely keen to check it out when it does arrive again. I think it has a... If you've paid attention to games out of China, it has a very generic art style, actually. It, I mean, all of the um, games coming out of China, but to me, uh, like, all of the Battle Royales kind of look the same. They're either outside of true. Apex. Very true. They're all Milsim, right? I'm done with Milsim. Yeah. Like, I'm officially just done yeah. with it, um, which is why I kind of like Apex, but even at that point, like, just having one that's not shoot the guns, that that is enough for me. That's why I really like Spellbreak, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... At, at the risk of um, being a bit long-winded here, very quickly, um, if you take a look at the gameplay trailer, like definitely have your first impressions, but one of the things to look out for is that there's going to be stun in this game, mm-hmm. as in hit stun, as in when you get hit, your character reels and you're stunned. Uh, to counter that, you have um, blocks and parries. So uh, this game is going to need to have the most robust of netcodes. There's a reason yeah. all these battle royales st- stray away from melee. Um, this is one that's going into that. I will say on the other side of that, though, is that um, you know how we we just talked about like, oh, yeah, it was, at one point, Australia was like, oh, a game came for there. And now Poland mm. is past that point, but still a game came from there. Um, China's not that like, do not be mistaken. China has had a like flourishing game development scene for a long time now. It's just that only now have they cared to try to bridge the gap because as hard as it has been for our, our other developers to enter the Chinese market, the Chinese market has not had the expertise to leave China. Yeah. So what's really cool now is seeing that more, um, I'm pretty sure what's happened is that a few companies on the ground have taken it upon themselves to become publishers, to take these games that are well-known out, which is what happened similar in, um, which a similar thing happened in Japan where, you know, it's just a few publishers on the ground who are approaching studios and taking the games out but this is very very important this will start to make us understand that 
as good as we are at making some games, uh, China is not necessarily better, but as good, certainly. And the one thing that China's really, really good at is they're not precious with IP. Yeah. As in, if an idea is good, a studio will take and take it and run with it. And if they're better than you at your own idea, then tough cookies, then nothing protects you from that. They did it better. So yeah, they're really fast at iterating over there. Yeah, it's super interesting. I was reading this article on Medium, uh, and apparently, like during the '90s, a lot of Chinese, like, and we're talking bigger development. Like, yeah. there's always been an indie community there, but a lot of the the yes. bigger development was just cloning what was happening in the West. Um, yeah, and that's it, it's crazy. Obviously, why they're not coming to the West, right? Because they're just copying that. And then, sort of yeah. in the sort of mid 2000s, we started to see, and you know, there are outliers, of course. As I said, this. I can't remember the name of it, yep. um, but yeah, there's like a couple of series that have been running for a long time there, but sort of mid 2000s, they started to create um, their, you know, original ideas and IPs and all that sort of stuff a lot more. Um, and then like, this has been like, we, we, everyone knows Genshin Impact, right? Like everyone knows that everyone knows mm. this game, but you know, we're starting to see these smaller indie games also float out, which to me is like, okay, yep. people are really interested in, in leaving China. Like Gunfire Reborn is made in China, right? Oh, and yeah. that's like one of the yep. most popular indie games out last year. So when we're starting to see even small developers starting to make that leap, it's very, very exciting mm-hmm. to see what's going to come out of that region. And for anyone like listening, and if you're interested in this, um, media is one of the worst points right now for understanding the Chinese market because no one in media has the expertise to really understand what's going on. And that's not true. Not no one. Very few people. There are a couple of people online who have dedicated a lot of time to understanding the games and legacies of Chinese games out there. If you're interested, go and search them out because the ex- the expertise that they have is phenomenal. I follow a couple of them on Twitter just kind of incidentally for just good work, right? Oh, so good. There's so much out of that, that like region that is unexplored and not given enough attention. Yeah, absolutely. Even so, so like for anyone new listening to show, Blue and I work for a company in Japan. I'm in Japan. Blue is not at the moment. Um, but doing a lot of research and talking with Korean developers right now is also just like mm. they are making some of the most interesting and graphically technical games I've ever seen, but there's just no gameplay to them a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, or they're just because in development forever. But I think like, in a few years' time, we're going to see a lot of really good stuff come out of Korea. Yeah. It's about where your homework is, right? For Korea, the homework is that a lot of these people come from um, CG studios. Yeah, yeah. Because that's huge in Korea. So a lot of people, uh, potentially even people who got into game, who wanted to get into games, went to just get a stable job at a CG studio who farms out CG work for Hollywood or like anyone who's willing to pay them. And now they're taking this amazing technical ability and putting it to the uh, to games. Now they have to develop the language for games. Yeah. In China, what they did was, yeah, we'll just copy people, which is what you do as an artist, it, like, as in like physical medium artists. You use references. You learn how to copy other people's art style, which then develops your own style. Same thing, same muscle. Yeah. We learned how to design by copying other games, and now we can design our own games. That's why it's already so advanced over there. Yeah. Really cool. Super cool. Um, um, yeah. I would love to just dive into that more. Um, time. Yeah, time. time. Uh, so this last uh, bit of news here, it's uh, during a, uh, what was this for? Um, GDC? Yeah. The 2021 GDC State of the Game Industry Survey. 
which is handed out to, um, I think, all the GDC attendees just to sort of get a feel for how developers feel in the industry. And mm. one of the questions was, do you th- what do you think is a justifiable amount of your game's revenue for digital storefronts? Example, Steam, Epic, Apple, all of that stuff. Which, of course, we've had yep. Epic and Apple duking it out and all of that sort of thing. Steam takes 30%, which was the standard cut. Um, mm-hmm. But... Apple has dropped that down depending if you earn a certain amount and all these sorts of things. So, you know, this is all over the place right now, but basically 30% was the standard. Um, and as a result of that survey, 30% of, uh, only 6% of developers say that the stores justified their cut of 30%, which doesn't necessarily yeah. surprise me. Um, no, but yeah. So, uh, 3% of the survey attendees said more than 30% is justified. Um, and then weird. Yeah, so. yeah. And uh people think that fifteen percent is more justified, which is what Apple sort of offered up, I believe, for people who earn under a million or something. Um Yeah. So this is something that we've sort of spoken about. Um, you know, like it's definitely not in Steam's best interest to deliver this, especially no. while they're leading in the the digital storefronts on PC. Um yep. I don't know, it's a complex issue. I, I personally feel that, you know, like to get the eyes on your game. And, and all of that stuff, like, sure, they get 30%. They get to dictate that. It's not my job. You know, obviously, as a developer, I would like to pay a lot less, um, yeah. but you don't really have an option. But do you want the storefront? Yeah. Yeah, this isn't this this isn't a negotiating table. This is just sentiment. This is super important to recognize yeah. here. This isn't a formal complaint. This isn't a petition. This isn't people in meetings screaming at each other. It's literally just sentiment. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Valve sets the, sets the price. And it's... Um, also, it's a perception thing. Mm-hmm. People see it as, I can publish myself. Why do I have to give you 30%? Well, you could publish yourself, but you're not going to get the, as you said, visibility. Um, you could publish yourself now, but victim of its own success, Valve has normalized digital publishing. Yeah. it's The only reason it's in the lexicon is because they said, yeah, we can do it digitally. We are not going to have a person on there. This is how it's going to work. And then people go, oh, if you're not going to have a person on there, we could do it ourselves. And yeah, that's true. You could. <laughs> so... That's it. That's all it is. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because, like, uh, I bet there are a lot of people out there is, with the Epic situation where they're taking a lot less of a cut are just like, well, I'm just going to launch my game on Epic only. And the amount of people that are just like, hey, um, I'm not buying anything from Epic because that store sucks and I don't like what they're doing with exclusives. And I know that the the majority of that noise is actually a minority of people buying games. But also, like, I do top 10 um, new indie games coming out every month. And every month, there's a bunch of games I've never heard of. And I look up and they've been out on Epic for, like, six months. Right? Yep. And I am someone who is scouring news and always checking new games every week. And I don't know about them. Mm-hmm. And I use the Epic store sometimes. So, <laughs> for the majority of people who don't touch it, it's like, yeah, well, you could give them less money. But once again... How many people on that store are seeing your game? And then how many of those people who saw your game actually want to buy your game? And how many of those people are actually mm-hmm. going to pay you for the game at full price? Yeah. It's, as you said, it's not a negotiation. Obviously, I yeah. think we should pay everyone less for things because, you know, that's the way it is. And like, yeah, uh, the world could just, in general, stand to use less money. Yeah. Right. Just less everything. But that's um, just not what, not what we're talking here's about another, here, right? <laughs> here's another weird, like, factor associated with all of this right which is that 
um, Valve doesn't feel pressure from indie devs having this opinion because, oh no, an indie dev pulled out of Steam. Yeah. 90 plus percent of the revenue on Steam comes from AAA titles. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but by, by a not funny number. Yeah. Like, it, it is... And, and by a not funny percentage of the people who use Steam as well, there were surveys and, like... Um, uh, sorry, data polls from previous from years ago that said something like, of all of the like sales that indies have taken, it comes from like a less than twenty percent of the people who use Steam. Yeah, all of it combined. Most people don't buy games on Steam. Most people don't buy indie games on Steam. Yeah. The the interesting thing here now though, where I can see a potential shift happening is. All of the bigger games that have been in development for a long time have come mm. out or are coming out in the next 12 months. And yeah. with the whole yeah. COVID and people not working from home and all of that planning, like these bigger games Smaller, take six, teams. seven years, right? And that's yeah. probably why we've yeah. seen so many, like I feel like, you know, just off the top of my head over the last 12 months, we've seen so many smaller games capture like, the mainstream conversation way more than we normally do. Yep. And it's because these bigger games aren't mm. coming out. And from like mm. people that I've spoken to and just things that we're hearing out there, like that's going to be a big problem over the next two or three years. COVID has really shut down a lot of those bigger projects. Um, Yeah, I agree. There's also, if we're talking in that scale, I also want to point out the, um, the double A, which is, uh, about two years ago, two plus years ago now, I think, uh, we saw one of the most prominent things that's headed this off was um, Telltale, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then Blizzard and various people over the past three years have just been hemorrhaged across the entire industry. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them left to make their own companies. We haven't heard too much from them yet, but 2022 to 2025 is when I expect to hear from them. Uh, COVID might push them up by a year, but I don't think they'll be that slow. I don't think they'll be that slow. Yeah. I think we'll hear from them around the same time Chorus comes out, if you remember Chorus from Melbourne. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be the time frame. Because Chorus, when when Chorus was announced on Fig, I think they yeah, were. I fig. know they expressly yeah. avoided Kickstarter. Um, people like criticized them for, oh, we're paying for this in 2019, I think it was, for a game slated for 2022. Mm. Uh, and there's a reason for that because they were asking for funding from the ground up and that's how long games take to make, right? Um, so, yeah, I think this is going to take uh, a while for the AAA to get back in gear because they're just gigantic studios with too many people to move around. The smaller, as you said, smaller, more agile ones will be all over the place in this period. But I think there won't be as much of quiet time as we might expect because of the... Yeah, the the old the telltales, the blizzards, the I don't remember what else, but so many, so many of those like really presti- um like experienced people are out there making games now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. In in the in the double A space. So and that brings us to the end of the news. Uh, so now we're going to answer a question from our community. If you want to submit a question to us, you can do so via our Twitter, Pixels Breakfast, or you can join our Discord, and we have a podcast questions channel in there. This question comes from Rowan, who we actually mentioned earlier. He is a co-host of another podcast on our network, Platforms and Pitfalls. He uh, posits this question. 
A pod or two ago, you talked about the Mario collection being overpriced at being standard retail for three games. So $20 each for the games considered classics, pretty typical for the PS2 era game remasters. And this is a common complaint, but what is the right price for old content for you? Obviously this is personal and everyone's relationship to money is different, etc. cetera. Uh, so yeah, basically I, I think it was me mostly was complaining about how expensive the Mario collection was uh, for the, for mm-hmm. the Nintendo switch for what it offered. Yeah. yeah with no frills on top yeah. of it. And, and Rowan's like, well, it's 20 bucks a game. Like that's pretty standard. Wouldn't you think? And while yes, you, you could mm-hmm. argue that, um, if I wanted to play those games, <laughs> that 20 bucks is fine. I think the big problem for me outside of like, let's just set aside the, we're going to arbitrarily just stop selling it from this date. Yeah. Shit. Um, Mm. I think the problem for me is that we've had so many good remakes or, or remasters that have, you know, thrown in some extras, have done some work, and this is just the absolute minimal upon minimal of work. Um, yeah. And I think that it's pretty unfair and rich of Nintendo to basically, like, take the emulated version and just put a menu on it, the most basic of menus, and be like, yep, yeah. give me full price. So I think that is just not up to par and not what you would expect from three games that particularly Super Mario 64 that beloved, absolutely beloved by everyone but me, apparently. But putting aside (laughs) my bias, right, like I can admit, even though I hate that game, just it changed platforming and 3D game design forever. Like it set a standard that is still around today. And they have never really done any work to it. There's supposed to be a 35th anniversary. Like even Super Mario All-Stars, when it came out on Super Nintendo, they redid all the art, right? Like they put in some work Mm -hmm. there. Um, Like they absolutely just did nothing at all. Yeah. In this case, it wasn't the price. It was what the game was. Exactly. Like I think 20 bucks for an older game is totally fine. Like I've paid more than that for for access to some older games, right? Um, But I just think that they're you know, unwillingness to add anything extra of value to this package. And then on top of that, be like, oh, you can only buy it for now and just create this like FOMO around it. Um, and yeah. Rowan, it's your the fault I sucks. bought it, by the way. It's your fault I bought it because I listened to your <laughs> podcast on Sunshine and I never played Sunshine. But I specifically made it a point that I was going to buy a secondhand copy because I didn't want to give Nintendo that money. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that is my problem with it. Blue, do you have any thoughts around this? I still think that we should pay developers but yeah not not for the effort that i've seen here where in so many other remasters not remakes just the remasters right we've seen so much effort being put into yeah we're going to give you safe states now we were respecting that it's not the same game as uh it's not the same environment for gaming as it was back then you're going to play it in a different way we understand that your relationship is going to be different to it we're going to give you extra documents concept art because if you bought this game you obviously care about it this remaster isn't for new players this is for players who loved it back then and want an easy way to play it now that's the attitude i like to see with remasters Mm -hmm. you know yeah i agree and then you charge 20 bucks because yeah this work takes effort and people should be rewarded for that and it should be sustainable it shouldn't be a charity that's cool but what what this has felt like and looked like of just this emulation feels crap yeah yeah i just think that these games in particular like they wanted to make a big song and dance about it being a 35th anniversary was it Mm. 35th 
35th. Yeah, which is such a nothing anniversary as well. But anyway, um, it's just a bit like if you're going to make this a special event but then not give us a product that's actually special, like none of it is justified in my opinion. Honestly, Mario 35 was a more special product. Yeah, (laughs) and it was free. Because Mario 35, yeah, Mario 35 brought some really cool things and really rewarded. Hey, you used to play Super Mario Brothers 2, right? Uh, Sorry, Super Mario Brothers, right? Like, do you remember the maps? Do you want to play it against people? Yeah, let's just come in and enjoy it and celebrate it. That's what that felt like. Yeah. Um, And on this, when talking about Super Mario 64, there's like really cool mods out there for it where you can play online with people as various characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not asking Nintendo to do that, but like if if the modding community is doing things like that, what kind of value are you providing with this remaster with so low effort, right? Yeah. So there you go. Pretty short answer to the question this week. Um, Scathing. Yeah, but basically, yeah, I just think that it's a, yeah, bad, bad investment. Um, all right, so now we're going to just go over stuff we played, and I played hardly anything this week. I got sick. Work has been crazy so mm. uh the first game i'm going to talk about is four gone uh have you heard of this game blue uh no i have not so is it like three gone it's but a bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right all right mate all right dad <laughs> um yeah so four gone is uh when this came out i want to say it was about eight to 12 months ago uh, i came out on pc and then came to switch a, a fair bit after that um I just saw a lot of articles being like, this is just Dead Cells. It's a Dead Cells clone because it does have a very Dead Cells-like mm. pixel art, fluid motion sort of thing going on. And I actually read reviews of like, oh, it's got roguelike elements, blah, 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 blah. Wrote it off as just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's just Dead Cells then. Um, I Maybe about two months ago, there was an article on Kotaku of all things being like, oh, this game kind of flew under my radar because everyone was like, it's Dead Cells, but it's totally not. And it had just come out on Switch at that point. So I picked it up because it was on sale. Finally got around to playing it. And it's nothing like Dead Cells at all. It's not even a roguelike. And I had read reviews calling it a roguelike. (laughs) It's a single player game with a story that you go through. It's not run based at all. If you die, you just restart at the last checkpoint. It's just mental. Um but oh that's horrible yeah so if you have uh been under the impression like i was um and written it off yeah and written it off potentially uh take another look at it um so Mm. it is a yeah side scrolling 2d pixel art gorgeous art um Mm. it's basically like you have uh you can collect basically sorry i need to jump back so the story is basically like there's this land and these like um, super soldier beasts, like mut- mutants have broken out and you've got to take them out. You were the chief scientist soldier lady who was part of this whole happening. Um, and you're going around hacking and slashing your way through. And there's like a bunch of different, like there's swords and spears and gun chucks. Um, and you have a secondary weapon, which is a, a gun of some type. So there's like all different types of weapons. So you have an inventory system here. Um, and that's pretty cool because while I can see the, the, um, dead cells, uh, sort of, you know, um, comparisons there, it's similarities. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's slicing and dicing, but you also have this projectile weapon and it automatically just targets the closest enemy. So it'll shoot up, it'll hmm. shoot like diagonal up or straight ahead or whatever it thinks is the best target. And most of the time that works pretty well. Um, boss hmm. fights are super interesting. Um, but it runs like trash on the switch. Like when yeah, it's working right. in a confined room, you're like, oh man, this is 60 uh, frames. It's beautiful. It's fluid. And like 
most of the time it's running at sub 30, um, even in docked mode, which is really disappointing. So that's kind of hurt my enjoyment of it because I can see like on PC or another console because I think it is on other consoles. It'd just be smoother. It'd just be way yeah. smoother. Um, I'm like at the end of the game and like I think I'm up to the last level and I'm about five hours in. Um, so yeah, it's about a five to six hour game. There are a bunch of secrets and you get powers that you can go through and go back to the previous levels and collect those. And then there is these like missions that you unlock along the way that you can then go do, which are like time attack, like kill this many enemies and get to the end of this area and you'll get an item and all this sort of thing. Um, I'm not going to do that. I don't really care about that, but I do really like how it's taken this gated progression adventure model, but it's optional. I don't have to go back and find all yep. those secrets, but you can if you want. Um, so I really do appreciate yeah. that. Um, basically, it's just an okay game. Like, it looks really nice. Um, but yeah, definitely don't buy it on the Switch. I just kind of wanted a palate cleanser after giving up Final Fantasy X. Um, and it's been mm. doing okay as that for me. Um, yeah, just definitely if you have written it off, um, it's not a roguelike. Definitely look into it. Um, you know, cool little game. Um the other game that I played uh, was There Is No Game, Wrong Dimension. Um, this is recommended to me from a bunch of people, yourself included, Blue. Um, yeah. And I kind of liked it. Like, I'm glad I played it, but I don't think I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Um, so if you don't know what this is, this is a game that is just like a, a weird mashup celebration of gaming culture, I think would be a way, or gaming history rather. Um you kind of start on this title screen and there's like the game is talking to you and it's all like, Hey, there's no game here and it doesn't want you to play the game. And you're like solving all these puzzles to start the game. And then you get transported into a point and click adventure that you then need to go through and solve. And like the game's short, so I'm not going to go too in depth here. Um, But essentially you're going through these different types of games to eventually play the game that there is no game of, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I started off really loving the game. Like the puzzles were really smart and the whole adventure game segment was just fantastic. I was like, oh my God, I was playing it with my fiance in the room. She was helping me like sort out puzzles and stuff. Like we we're having a really great time. Mm. And then it loads up this like uh, RPG hero of legend or something it's called. And it's, you know, legend of Zelda. Um, mm-hmm. And I just hated that entire segment. Like I just did not find the gameplay fun. Did not find the jokes funny. This is like, okay, yep, I'm, I'm at this point, uh, but I'll, I'll get through it. It's fine. So then you push through it. Yeah. And then the game does the and thing that I hate games doing the most, which is it repeats the content in a really lazy way. Uh, and you basically uh, restart that whole segment, but it's like it's a free-to-play clicker game now. And it's the entire joke is just free-to-play games suck, don't they? And I think that that is a really shit message to have because free-to-play games do not suck. There are plenty of them that do. But, like, that joke is such a, like, you know, five years ago joke. Um, so that just really mm. fell flat for me and I ended up really disliking that. Um, I pushed through that and then got to the end and I thought that was really funny. And all I'm going to say is sentient vacuum cleaners are great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, ultimately I walked away with it just being like, eh, yeah, I felt like I only enjoyed a third of that game. Um, but I'm still really glad I played it. I thought it was really inventive and I would definitely sign up for whatever that team does next. Um, I think it was maybe a solo developer or two people, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know it was a failed Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah. I definitely would play it on PC. Do not play it on a controller. Um, 
you do yeah, not feel good on a I controller. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Um, but that's all I played this week. Uh, I've got a couple of things in the chamber at the moment that I'm slowly working on, and um, I'm getting back to my mister this uh, golden week, which I'm very excited to Ooh. go back and finish my 96 exit run of Super Mario World. I just saw a um, a rusty speed run of the 96 exits in SMW. Oh, God. So there's a concept from uh, GDQ Hotfix where um, they invite runners on to play a game that they haven't speedrun in years uh-huh. to see if they can do it in a reasonably tight time frame. Super fun concept. Yeah. That sounds cool. Just thought, just, just to share. That yeah. sounds cool. Uh, really enjoying it. The, the series is called Mercy Kill in case anyone cares, but yeah. So what have you been playing? Uh, I, I yeah, I suppose I should talk about what I've been playing. Um, I finally got enough time to like sit down with Strixhaven, the Magic the Gathering's latest uh, expansion. Um, I actually deleted all of my previous decks, so everything I built is new. And yeah, I've, I've been kind of enjoying it. It's not as like crazy, like inspirational as Kaldheim was, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, played more Battlegrounds as well. So um, your posts on Discord new with PC. ridiculous boards. Yeah, I'm. I don't know how to like explain to people how stupid that is because to make a unit golden, you need to get three of them. Um, and I had two golden Cadgars and another Cadgar in hand, so that's seven Cadgars, right? Um, but the game caps out. The game like literally between every player can only offer I think six of one unit. So I got there by duplicating. Uh, Cadgars like twice. Right, right. So that's why that one is so crazy because like not only is there a limited number of units that you can get, but there's a it's limited across the entire pool of players. So if anyone takes a a, a unit from you, like it just there's less chance of it showing up for you, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and like th- that was a key unit for the strategy that I was using as well. So the chances of you getting something like that for a unit that you actually want to use is pretty low. Anyway, um. Play Battlegrounds. I got a new rig, new tower, which I've been really Hell enjoying. Hell yeah, very excited about that. Uh, which means that I have been able to get some fighting games in me again. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I've actually played a few hours of the Injustice 2 story mode. Uh, I'm waiting to get hooked in again. All I can think of right now is, man, I hate Damian Wayne. And I think that's just what everyone thinks anytime they see Damian Wayne. <laughs> so I think that's normal. I think that's just, like, fine. Um, played some Marvel Infinite. Mm-hmm. Learned how to do a very simple fly combo. Flies are something I've never learned how to do in Marvel games. So I'm glad I've, like, gotten something easy in there. Um, it's, it's much easier in Marvel Infinite, to be fair. Uh, picked up Evil Genius 2. Yeah, cool, cool. Which is... Heard good things. Like dumb fun just mindless clicky clicky um put you know spies into interrogation chairs and build vaults of gold and yeah it's it's uh i i don't know how to recommend um these sim style games to anyone who's not yet a fan who might be one because even the things that are fun about it i'm not sure you you know, make it sound fun on paper. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Because it's a lot of like working out how to spin all the plates and optimizing yeah. that. And that's, you know, sounds like you're doing spreadsheets when you're trying to explain it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's this nice zen 
relatively mindless. I'm just going to sit here and click and stare and, oh my God, five hours have passed. Yeah, right. Uh, I haven't been able to do a lot of the five hours have passed things. I, it's a really good game to like stop and play between sessions. So I just leave the game running and I do work and then I like take a five-minute break or, um, you know, here and there between like watching videos and stuff. Um, so it's a good time filler. Um, the the time on my Steam page is not reflective of how much time I've actually been paying attention to the game. <laughs> uh, and it's that kind of game. It's good for that kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. cool. Um, just a sm- smattering of Monster Hunter Rise and um, finished one run of We Were Here Together with um, Blasphemous Waffle. Oh, nice, nice. And we're going to do the inverse run um, the tonight, as in night that we are recording. So by the time this comes out, we will have already done it. Should be cool. That sounds tons of fun. Yeah, yeah. I played a lot. Yeah, across normally a, a this is flipped. Things. I've played like thirty mm. things, and you've played two. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, there's a lot less um, where I just dedicate you know thirty hours of my week into this game. Yep. in this list, and it's just like smatterings of here and there because like learning a combo in infinite isn't. Uh, I will dedicate eight hours to. It. Sometimes it can be, but in this case, you know, I spent like two hours learning how to do um, a couple of different new combos and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, So quickly, just on updates for content that's going out. This week, I did drop a worth it early access review of uh, First Class Trouble, which is a fantastic game. Please go check that out on YouTube. Also dropped my top 10 indie picks for May 2021. It's a really exciting games in that list, actually. Very, very excited uh, to pick up a few of those. Uh, that'll be up by the time this podcast goes out as well. So go check that out on YouTube. Next week, we have the Fights in Tight Spaces Early Access Review. It's done. It's sitting here. It's ready to go. Uh, and I'm also working on Emily is Away 3, but I don't actually- Less than 3. <laughs> Heart. Yeah, that might not be a video review. I'm 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 kind of torn. I don't know <laughs> if I can make it work as a video review. So I might just write a piece about that game, um, potentially. Cool. Uh, but yeah, we'll see how it comes together. I've got to sink some time into it this weekend. Uh, and um, I've just got, I've got a huge list of games. It's just like hard picking which one I'm going to go to next. I am feeling, I am feeling blue. Like it might be time to go to Hard Space Shipbreakers. Might be time to check that one out, I think. Really? Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Dig. It's very much like different style, but same kind of like mindless. I want to do this thing as um, Sim Games, right? Yeah, 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 for just sure. On this task. I've been super interested in potentially checking out Viscera, 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 Viscera. After all these years, what is Space Generator? Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and yes, that could be cool. That could be very cool. Yeah, I kind of want to zen out like on an afternoon with some friends or something. But yeah, we'll we also have um that that other game that we were talking about potentially um coming from versus Evil. That'll be fun um to check out. Anyway, uh, so thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that like button. Uh, If you are listening on an Apple device, if you could leave us a review, that would help us a whole lot. Also, make sure you go to pixelsofbreakfast.net to follow us on YouTube and all the other places. And if you're listening on Impulse Gamer, uh, stay tuned for more articles from me there. Blue, anything you'd like to say? Um, I'm really happy we're past April. Um, And be kind to each other. Onward to E3, and as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. Can we go back? Can we go back? Can we go back?
maybe E three is not the direction we want to go. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone. I love it. Mm. <laughs>